Good, well, good evening everyone, and it's so good to see you all tonight. Um, it's nice that the room is pretty full. And um, so tonight, if you've been to our evening services over the last few months, you, you will know that we've been engaging on a series that is called Excited About God. And basically the only sort of assignment, the only request that was given to whoever is preaching these evening services is, tell us something that makes you excited about God. Now, as I was thinking about tonight and how we are entering the Advent season and what makes me excited about God, there was one title that went through my head um, and it was about dysfunctional families and nations at war. And I thought, it just doesn't sound that great, does it? Uh, it does not sound like something that you're particularly excited about. Um, and so I've, I've titled it entitled something else, namely Reconciliation in Jesus, with as a subtitle about dysfunctional families and nations at war. But hopefully that's just a subtitle and a thing there in bold and in big letters. That's what it is about tonight. And, um, and so tonight we'll see how it goes. I hope I don't go too long, but I was told the morning service was only 55 minutes, so we have to make up for it tonight. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, and, and in any case, uh, it is, it's also nice, I just want to say, Tobias, uh, acknowledge that some of this, what I'm sharing tonight, is also part of some conversations that we've had. Tobias is a good friend, and he is um, doing a PhD in Hebrew Bible, and especially sort of researching the Joseph narratives and going towards the Gospels. And so some of the, the things that I will be sharing tonight are actually part of the conversations we've had. So I'm excited to see you here as well tonight. Um, yeah, so, so a little bit about Advent, you know. Clay this morning told us, and he's been telling us for many years when he's preaching around Christmas, how excited he gets by Christmas and just the prospect of, I don't know, Christmas trees, Christmas jumpers, mince, I don't know what you get excited about. And, and he is so excited about it. And, and, you know, his enthusiasm is something that uh, I enjoy seeing. But I, I have to be honest with you, I'm, I'm a little bit more ambivalent towards Christmas. Um, and, and that actually has to do uh, with some particular circumstances. And, and I hope you don't mind uh, sharing this with you. But for, for a lot of us, Christmas, you know, is, is a time of joy, is a time of family celebrations, is a time of, of goodness and all that. But, but I think for, for a lot of us also, Christmas is, is a difficult season where perhaps especially some of the difficult times that we've been walking through in this season of the year, they come up every time we approach this season of the year. And for me especially, um, in 2017, those of you who were around, my brother passed away around Christmas. And so every time the Christmas season comes up, that's also something that comes back to my mind. And, and not only that, because with sort of the memory of my, my late brother, there are also memories and, and about some of the ways in which we as, as a family, and some of you know I'm, I'm the youngest of six, so we have um, a lot of siblings and uh, wonderful parents, and we are blessed and we find each other in, in faith in Jesus that we, we share among us, but we aren't a perfect family. And, and there are struggles in our family, and some of those struggles, they, they were related to my brother, and, and, and some of those struggles remained unresolved because of his early passing. 
And, and so when the Christmas season comes up, it is also a time where I think about my family and think about those joyful gatherings, but at the same time, those unresolved struggles and, and difficulties that are a reality for us as a family even today. And I think that for a lot of us here tonight, we are probably able to relate to that at some level. You know, maybe we are blessed with a more peaceful family, but I think it's, it's probably the minority here. I think most of us are from families where there are family struggles, where perhaps the season of Christmas brings up all sorts of memories that aren't all that joyful. And so tonight, as I was thinking about what makes me excited about God, I think it is to acknowledge that family struggles, dysfunctionality in our personal lives is, is not something that is unfamiliar to God. It is something that we find in Scripture. And beyond that, we also find hope in Scripture for something better. And so I, I want us to engage tonight on a little journey uh, throughout Scripture and talk a little bit about a very dysfunctional family that we find in the Bible. Extremely dysfunctional. Um, and it's the family of Abraham. And Abraham, you know, he was the guy who was called by God to be a blessing to the whole world, to be a blessing to the nations. Yet, after Genesis 12, if we continue to read the story of Abram and his family, we read many things that don't seem to fit that picture of being a blessing to the world. So, um, oh, first, uh, we can go to the second, yeah, the slide after that, that one, yeah. Uh, no, the one before, sorry. So, I'll first read a few verses from Genesis 16. So, you know how God promised Abraham and Sarai a son? even though, humanly speaking, they couldn't have a son together. God promised them over and over. But as time went on and things got a bit more precarious, Sarai decided we should take things into our own hands. And so this is what we read in Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai and his wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Well, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. Next one. So this isn't particularly a good start for the family of God that is called to be a blessing to all the nations, is it? And so we see Hagar fleeing to the wilderness where an angel of the Lord comes to meet her and, and says to her, 
Now you have conceived and shall bear a son, and you shall call this son Ishmael. For the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man, with his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall live at odds with all his kin. And so we see here that despite this horrible family situation, God is still good, God is gracious. And he chooses to protect and to bless Hagar, to bless her son Ishmael. And later in the story, of course, we, we know that eventually Sarai then becomes pregnant. And, and once Isaac is born, uh, there is another episode where Hagar is sent uh, away by Sarai into the wilderness. And it seems at that point that, that Hagar and her son Ishmael are going to die. And again, God shows up. God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. And so despite this family trouble, just setting the scene here of the troubled family of Abraham, God still intervenes. God is blessing not only the line of Isaac, God is also going to bless the line of Ishmael. But things also aren't that great. The next chapter is, is a mirror story, sort of what happens um, in, in Genesis 21. Genesis 21, uh, Ishmael is sent away into the desert. Uh, at Genesis 22 is God testing Abraham, and he goes into the desert to this mountain with his son Isaac, where he has to sacrifice Isaac. And of course, we all know that story, and uh, we could spend a whole night talking about that. But but the point of the story is, it seems that Abraham is incredibly obedient to God and he, he passes the test of obedience and God blesses him for it. But if you sort of read between the lines of that story, there's something else there going on as well. Is that when you come to the final verse of that story, you read, you know, this is after God has provided a ram instead of Isaac. You read, then Abraham returned to his servants. And they set off together to Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Now, there may not be something obviously wrong with this verse in itself until you realize that Isaac doesn't show up in this verse. Isaac doesn't return with his father to his servants. In fact, if you keep reading the book of Genesis, you'll see that Isaac settles somewhere else. He isn't living together at the same place where his dad is living. And in fact, if you keep reading through the, the scroll of Genesis, the book of Genesis, you'll, you'll see there's no direct interaction anymore between Abram and Isaac after this has happened. So if this, at this point, someone would ask Abram, you know, how is, how is your family doing? <laughs> how is it coming with being a blessing to all the nations? Probably the answer wouldn't be very great. And then Sarah dies. And after Sarah dies, Abram takes another wife. Um, so we know Sarah, we know Hagar, but there's a third wife of Abram, and this is important for where we're going tonight. And this wife's name is Keturah, okay? And she bore him uh, several sons. And one of them, I just want to know that, or just keep in mind that one name, Midian, one of the sons of Keturah, because he's going to show up at several other places. And then verse 5 of this chapter, Genesis 25, Abram gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons 
of his concubines, Abram gave gifts. So Abram is giving gifts, keep that in mind, to all these sons while he was still living. And he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. So these sons, they receive gifts from Abram and then they're sent eastwards. Okay? So, um, yeah, just the next slide. Also, this is, these are some names that are going to come up later, okay? So some of these sons, we have the, uh, the descendants of Ishmael. So that's the son of Hagar. And then Genesis 25 continues to give us the, the list of the 12 sons of Ishmael. And the t- first two sons of Ishmael, they are called Nebaiot and Kedar. So just keep those in mind. And I've made a, a slide for you to just remember it in a little bit more of an easy way. So we have three wives of Abram, right? We have Sarah, we have Hagar, we have Keturah. And Sarah is the mother of Isaac. And Hagar is the mother of Ishmael, who then is the father of Nebaiot and Kedar. And Keturah, the third wife, has this son who is called Midian. Now, if you know stories about broken families, you will also know that often these stories continue throughout generations. And sometimes family strife is something that finds its way through the generations, trickles down. And that is something that we actually see in the biblical narrative here as well. Because these sons of the other wives of Abram, they're going to show up in different places in the Old Testament, okay? They're going to show up in significant places and cause some trouble. Um, And so the first place where they show up, actually, is in Genesis 37. So this is the Joseph story. Joseph is thrown in the pit. Joseph, one of the sons of Isaac, right? One of the sons of the promise, is thrown into the pit. And his brothers, they want to sell Joseph. Um, Or first they want to kill him. Later they decide they're going to sell him. So that's this passage. And, and this passage is, is very significant for where we're going further on in the Bible. Uh, I've taken it from the Greek translation of the Hebrew. Um, and the reason is it, it amplifies a few things there that are important to see the links in the biblical story. So sorry if it's getting a little bit technical here, but stay with me. All of this is about families. LAUGHTER <laughs> um, So here we come to the Joseph story. Uh, These are the brothers. They sat down to eat bread, and having lifted up their eyes, they beheld, and lo, Ishmaelite travelers. So the son of Isaac is in the pit, and here are Ishmaelite travelers. And they came from Galat, and their camels, so they have a lot of camels, and they're heavily loaded with spices and resin, which frankincense is a kind of resin, and myrrh. And they went to bring them to Egypt. And Judas, um, Judah in the Hebrew, but in the Greek, Judas, uh, said to his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to these Ishmaelites, but let not our hands be upon him, because he is our brother in our flesh, and his brethren hearkened. And the man, the merchants from Midian, Wait, what is happening? I thought we were talking about Ishmaelites. So these Ishmaelites, they are now identified with people from Midian. Remember, Midian was the son of Keturah. So we now have the, the sons, the descendants of Keturah and the descendants of Hagar together taking the son of Isaac. 
And so these merchants of Midian, they went by and they drew and lifted Joseph up out of the pit and they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of gold. So we have gold, myrrh and frankincense here. I don't know where this is going. Um, <laughs> a story of family strife that continues throughout the generations. There are other places in the Old Testament where the other sons of um, the other descendants of Abraham show up. So one of them, for example, is in the book of Judges. And again, um, so in the book of Judges, we have, you know, this is the point where we, where we read about Gideon, uh, one of the sons of Isaac. And uh, this is a story uh, for whenever the Israelites put in seeds, the Midianites and the uh, Amalekites and the people of the east, remember, were all Abram's sons that were not from Sarai were sent. They would come up against them. And again, then in, um, this is Judges 8. This is after Gideon has defeated these people. So Gideon went and killed Zeba and Zalmunna, and he took um, the crescent that were on the necks of their camels. I mean, this is, you know, you read the story and, and you read these names and you don't think anything of it until you realize, well, these, this is actually family, you know. This family coming to cause trouble on him and he's killing his family if you trace it down according to the biblical genealogy. And then the Israelites, they said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your sons and your grandson also, for you have delivered us out of the hands of Midian. And then Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Then Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Each of you give me an earring um, he has taken as booty. For the enemy had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So again, we see the biblical author bringing together these descendants, both from Hagar and from Keturah, causing trouble on the sons of Isaac. So this story of family strife uh, continues. This story of a broken family that was meant to bring blessings to all the nations of the world turns out to be a family that is broken, that is dysfunctional, descendants that go on and fight with each other. And so in a sense, there is, the Bible is, I think, realistic in this sense, that we find this in the biblical narrative, something that we find around us as well. And, and even today, you know, if we continue to look and, and leaving aside sort of the, the historical evidence of genealogies and all that, these are people that identify as sons of Isaac. These are people that identify as descendants of Ishmael. And they're still fighting today. It still happens today. Yeah, you can continue to the next slide. But I, I promise you that tonight was not just going to be a story of doom and gloom. It was not just going to be a story about family strife that trickles down through the story of the Bible, a story of a dysfunctional family that perhaps we can still even see traces of today. I told you that tonight was also an evening where, we're gonna, where we were going to think about why we are excited about God, because God, in His goodness and in His mercy, despite all the harm that we are trying to do each other, has something better in mind, okay? And so this is where we come to Isaiah 60. 
And this is one of the most beautiful visions that we find in the book of, the, in the book of Isaiah, of the, of the restored Jerusalem, of the glorious city of Zion, of perhaps you could call it the, the Old Testament vision of the new Jerusalem. And what do we read about this place? Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will appear over you. Nations, they shall be coming towards your light, and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from far away and your daughter shall be carried on their nurse's arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nation shall come upon you. But now wait for it. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. All the flocks of Kadar, remember who was Kadar, son of Ishmael, shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth, again, son of Ishmael, shall minister to you. They shall be acceptable on my altar. And I will glorify my glorious house. So just in case you had forgotten, these are the sons of the different wives of the family of Abram coming back to the new Jerusalem to worship the Lord there to bring their gifts on their camels, to bring their gold, their frankincense. I mean, if I didn't know better, I almost would think this is beginning to sound like a story that we know. Perhaps an Advent story that you've heard before. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who has been born to the king of the Jews? So they're coming to Jerusalem. They're coming to the city where they should be going to. But rather than Jesus being there, he's not there in the palace in Jerusalem. He's actually in a house in Bethlehem. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. Mm. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they nailed down, knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, like what's going to come out? They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So we don't know if they came on camels. <laughs> Doesn't say that in Matthew 2. But, you know, they had to carry their gifts on something, and camels were often used. For these people that came from the east. We don't know how many they were. We, knew they are, we only know from the story in Matthew 2. These were wise men or magi that came from the east. To bring gifts to 
this Savior of the world, to this Son of Abraham. And so it is here, around this baby, Jesus, that the sons of Abraham, that this dysfunctional family that has been going through so much strife and pain through the ages is coming together. This is the one in whom they find reconciliation. This Jesus who has come to reconcile man to God is also the one in whom people can find reconciliation together. And so that just reminded me of this story, you know, because this is not just something for the future. This is something that we can see happen today. This is something that we do see happen today. And with our former church, we, we had this we had this partnership. We intentionally uh, set up a partnership with, with two churches in Israel. And one of them was um, a Palestinian church. So a church of Palestinian Christians. And one church was a Messianic Jewish congregation. And we invited uh, the leaders from these churches to come to us in the Netherlands uh, before we went out to them and visited them. And, and when they came to the Netherlands, one of the things that we did is we had this day in Amsterdam where we had the privilege to show them around the city. And of course, it's a beautiful city, but at one point we came to this Auschwitz Memorial. And you know, you had these two church leaders there, one female, one male, and they both had such different theologies. You know, for one of them, the people of God, they had been replaced. For the other one, no, God has a special plan. For... They had all these theological differences. There was this sort of, you could feel that there was some tension these first few days of the visit. But I still remember the day we came to this monument. And they looked at each other. And what happened next is that they embraced each other. They embrace each other because despite all the differences, despite all their arguments they could have had at that moment, as they were standing there mourning the loss of so many innocent people, they recognize we are all the family of Abraham and we are one in Jesus. And there's nothing else that matters at this moment. And so I remember still, as we continued the walk through the city, they were holding each other's shoulders for the next five or ten minutes, just walking there as brothers and sisters, children of Abraham, one in Jesus Christ. That's the power of what this baby can do. But tonight I want to take us still one step further. And I hope that's okay. Because as I said, there is this vision of reconciliation between people that becomes possible in Jesus here and now. But all of us, I think, will know of situations of unresolved conflict. Conflict that we cannot resolve in this life. Conflict between families, conflicts between us and someone else, even if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, there sometimes can be unresolved <coughs> conflict. And if we look around to the world, we see conflicts between nations and we think, how is this ever going to be resolved? 
Is all of this just going to end once everyone dies? Or is there a hopeful end possible? Is reconciliation possible in the future? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Mm. And elsewhere in the chapter, we, I mean, these words sound so familiar to us, don't they? I am making everything new. That is the promise that God gives us. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the passage there. And, and elsewhere in the chapter, we find even more about this, this new Jerusalem. If you've been reading that passage from Isaiah 60 earlier on, you will recognize these phrases. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord is its light, Isaiah 60. And its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk in its light. And the kings of the earth, I mean, the kings of the earth, if you read the book of Revelations, these are the ones that have been making war against the Lamb. But these kings of the earth, they will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But then, one more thing about this new city. There's a river there. The angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river is a tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits, producing its fruits each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. You read this and you think, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> There's going to be... No more death, no more crying, no more pain. But there is going to be a place, the way I read this, there's going to be a place and a time in that city of God, in the presence of the Lamb, for healing. And for me, this has been, you know, incredibly impactful, thinking about some of the unresolved family issues some of the unresolved difficulties, some of the conversations that we wanted to have but never could have. 
I don't know what this is going to look like, but I know that there will be a place for further healing. And so, despite our broken families, despite nations at war today, who knows what things will look like in the New Jerusalem, but there will be a time, there will be a place around the throne of the Lamb who came to save the world. There will be a place there for healing. And that is what makes me excited about God. That ultimately, there is a place and there is a time for reconciliation here and now. It can happen today. We are called being reconciled with God to be reconciled with each other. There's no excuse to put it off to tomorrow. But also recognizing the reality and the brokenness of the relationships that we have. I'm excited about God because reconciliation is found in Jesus here now and around the throne of the Lamb. Amen.